Hey, it's C.S. Joseph with csjoseph.life, uh, doing season 13, episode 4, uh, recording from Planet Hollywood in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm out here on a, a business trip right now uh, for the uh, Microsoft event out here, but, uh, you know, still have to uh, make sure that uh, we're moving right along with uh, the lectures and uh, making sure that... Uh, we're keeping to the schedule as much as possible, even though I do travel from time to time. And uh, in fact, actually, I'll be in North Carolina probably sometime next month. So we'll see how that goes as well. But be that as it may, uh, so today uh, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. And I'll be honest, I was a little hesitant in doing this particular lecture. I wanted to save it for much later, but given the responses that I've been getting, uh, as a result of putting out the Sacred Masculine and Sacred Feminine uh, lectures, I believed, I, I came to believe that it was important to actually do this lecture sooner than later. So before I dive into King Warrior Magician Lover or Queen Warrior Magician Lover as the archetypes of the Mature Masculine and the archetypes of the Mature Feminine for the sake of our Human Nurture series, I wanted to talk about or at least kind of zoom out a little bit on what it is we're actually discussing here when it when we're talking about nature versus nurture. So I lightly touched on it in my uh, welcome to my channel lecture, which if you go to like my channel main page, you'll see that lecture where I basically explain, okay, this is why I'm doing this channel. This is the problems that I see. Here's how we're going to solve them, etc and how all of that works out, right? Well, the issue with that, the issue with that is basically, uh, I think that the audience is still a little bit confused or at least does not understand the context of what I'm talking about when I'm talking about human nature versus human nurture. Uh, so that's basically what we're gonna be talking about today, but then we're gonna be going super mega deep into metaphysics, uh, and maybe even a little bit of quantum mechanics, I don't know, uh, to kind of demonstrate the differences and the similarities between human nature and nurture and why they're important to talk about. And that's why today's lecture is titled, The Way of the Human Being, also known as the Tao of the Human Being. Now. I've used a lot of Christian or biblical examples uh, on this channel. Uh, a lot of uh, biblical wisdom, we'll say, taken from Proverbs or words of Jesus Christ, for example, to demonstrate and explain my points. But today, we're going to be doing a little bit different, actually. Today, we're going to be delving into Eastern philosophy and uh, looking into a, a few of the core tenets of Taoism. And, and the way of things, basically, and the grand ultimate, also known as yin and yang, basically, to, under, to basically outline exactly how human nature and human nurture impacts the very reality that we live in and why that's important, right? So we're going we're gonna to go forward with that uh, uh, to just kind of gain a little bit of an understanding of how it works. So... So before I do that, let's let's preface that. Let's preface what nature versus nurture is for human beings. So human nature represents um, the the ego or the the I am basically uh, the person that you are that is your nature. Uh, you know, 
doesn't necessarily mean that's what your gender is. That's kind of more of a nurture-esque thing because masculinity and femininity is more expressed in one's nurture. And nurture is basically like your past experience. It's, it's everything that you've been through uh, and everything that external natures of other human beings have done to you, basically. Uh, you, I guess you could say that the, the I am or the ego itself is kind of more of an introverted point of view. Now, I'm not talking about introverted versus extroverted types right now. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the ego itself. The ego itself represents a source, a source of the human being's I am, right? And when someone says I am, uh, I am this, I am that, they're really talking about the ego itself, right? And that literally is the source of your nature is your ego. Now you could talk about the source of the ego, but then that's discussions about, you know, God or creation or creator, etc., or the grand ultimate or the great ultimate according to Chinese Eastern philosophy. It just, it changes depending on who you ask. Uh, I mean, Hinduism has its own point of view and obviously um, Islam does as well. But uh, Judaism, it doesn't matter which religion you pick, they all have, you know, a differing point of view in terms of what the source of the ego is, right? To which I would say, you know, would be like the metaphysical or the, the, the spiritual uh, realms, uh, you know, within this reality or outside this reality that we know, for example. Uh, so anyway, the point is, is that nature is basically the I and nurture is more of like the we or the, or the other people outside of you and their natures collectively impacting your nature and thus nurturing you and changing you as you go. So you have nature and you have nurture and guess what? They are in yin and yang equilibrium. And then you would say that one's nature is yang because it's pretty firm, right? It's it, it, in the, at this level, you know, we're looking at this level. If we're going to like dive down and, and get into the weeds of things and really zoom in on what an ego is. You know, you have cognitive functions and some of them are more solid than others. Some of them are more pliable, etc. with the yin being more pliable. And there's definitely a bunch of yin and yang sub properties within each of the cognitive functions, especially since you have like introverted thinking and extroverted feeling on an axis with each other, and that is a yin and yang axis that they are on. Same thing with um, extroverted thinking and introverted feeling, also on a yin and yang axis. Same with introverted intuition and extroverted sensing, and introverted sensing and extroverted intuition, same thing. They're all basically on a yin and yang axis with each other, and then when you mix them together, they become a multi-dimensional yin and yang uh, system, basically. Multi-dimensional uh, uh, with yin and yang properties, that ends up becoming what we know as the ego itself. And then the ego itself ends up adjusting itself uh, and, and, and it's very solid and it's, and it's a very masculine force. And that's why, like for example, I talk about in my lecture about the eight cognitive spectra, how our minds are like a radio. And when you have a sperm, you know, uh, merging with an ovum or an egg basically, uh, you know, the sperm, it's its like the masculine genitor, uh, generative force, right? That's making contact, they, and, it, and, it is, and it, within it, it carries the cognition of the human being itself, right? It carries the ego itself. 
and then it's going inside and and that's why you know when the uh, sperm gets into the ovum the sperm is literally like the person's skull and their spine and their central nervous system and their brain that's provided by the sperm right and then all the organs and the rest of the body is basically provided by the ovum right as the human being grows inside of a woman right uh so and, and it propagates and then boom we have human beings right but the cognition itself you know comes from you know that masculine point of view like the ego itself is masculine even though the ego can have feminine properties or maybe it's primarily a feminine property uh, property and that's the point i'm trying to make here guys it's primary versus secondary right yin and yang uh, yin would be more of a, you know, a negative force, uh, a more secondary potential auxiliary force with the yang being the primary force in that regard, unless it's in like more of a yin territory, like nighttime, for example, or more of a, uh, a yang, uh, territory like daytime, for example, because light is associated with the yang and darkness is associated with the, the yin basically, or, um, or the masculine is, is associated with the yang and uh, the, the feminine is associated with the yin, for example. But they're all in perfect equilibrium with each other and they have properties, sub-properties of the other inside of itself, basically, in perfect equilibrium. And that makes up our ego, right? And that is our nature. When I'm t and, that's why that's, and that's basically what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the 16 personality types according to Jungian analytical psychology, uh, which then we have different interpretations of Jungian analytical psychology, which is the MBTI. That's one interpretation. Socionics is another interpretation. The DISC system is another uh, interpretation. Uh, you could even argue Big Five is another interpretation, although I think personally the Big Five is very limited and really does not uh, either adhere to uh, human nature or human uh, nurture. It really doesn't. It actually bleeds with both, and that's why I have a problem with it, right? Uh, you know, I could make the same argument with the DISC system, etc. But again, these interpretations of Jungian analytical psychology are based on Jungian analytical psychology at the base root. And they're just, again, they're just interpretations that people have to do this. You could say that even my theory is an interpretation of Jungian analytical psychology as I explain the ego, as I explain the way of the human being, the Tao of the human being. Uh, what it means to be a human being, what it means to have human life. That is the point. And I'm describing it to you so that you can gain wisdom, so that when you have that wisdom, you're, you're able to, or so that you can grow into wisdom, that is, and that will have growing pains and suffering, obviously, because, you know, uh, truth hurts. Truth is light. Yang, that is truth. Light, right? That's why people talk about being illuminated, and then the, and then they freak out and go even a little bit further and say, "Ooh, Illuminati, Illuminism, etc." You know, it's like, okay, yeah, I get it, but traditionally, the symbols of light are just associated with truth, and light burns, and it it burns like hellfire, basically, and it's very hot, and uh, you know, and and you know, if 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 the creator uh, is, is pure light, you know, it, would it not be painful to get close to that light, to get close to that truth? And wouldn't you need to be able to, uh, you know, develop the ability to withstand that pain, to withstand that suffering as you get closer and closer to truth, right? That would make more sense, right? I mean, I could even go with a, um, I could even go with a, a biblical example of, 
of the pain it takes to get closer and closer to the throne of God in, in the heavenly realms, etc. Because his glory is just emanating in such huge light, but that light is super painful. And who can really get close? Well, according to that, the only one that can get close would be Jesus Christ, technically, based on, you know, the argument that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and because of that, he's, he, he is the truth embodiment, right? And because he is the way, the truth, and the life, the Tao, the truth, life, interesting archetypes, that because of that, he literally can become one and the same with, um, with God's glory as he's sitting on the throne, using this biblical example, right? That's how it works. That That's basically the yang, basically, you know, and then you have the yang, what's pliable, you know, truth is very firm and it is absolute. Of course, people then start arguing and think, well, you don't know what absolute truth is. And it's like, okay, well, when my response to that is, is like, okay, is the world flat? Because people had entire beliefs, entire ethos around the fact that they believed that the earth was flat, but we know that's not true, okay? So whenever anyone starts talking and arguing absolute truth or telling me that everything is subjective and that everything is a belief, no, it's not. There is objective truth out there, right? And we can find the objective truth in our environment. It is there and it does exist, okay? Objective truth exists in as much as subjective truth also exists because objective truth and subjective truth, guess what, is another yin and yang equilibrium. We have the objective is the yang and the subjective is the yin. <gasps> Oh my gosh, it's like almost every facet of our life is literally just some giant multi-dimensional hidden and not so hidden covert and overt yin and yang system. Yes, it is. It literally is. But a lot of people don't understand this and then they get all bent out of shape. Anyway, nature versus nurture. That is the whole point I'm trying to make here. Nature versus nurture. It's important that you understand your nature, which is why I talk about type, and it is important that you understand nurture and how nurture works because of how nurture can adjust or grow you, right? And grow your type, right? Or it could stunt your growth, for example. There's a lot of different issues and facets to it and uh, discussions about gender, masculinity, and femininity fits all within this system. And that makes up human life, you know, the way of the human being, the Tao of the human being. I talk about the Tao because I actually start, uh, I, I just recently started studying Bruce Lee uh, very deeply. Uh, I do plan on, uh, I do plan on becoming very proficient at uh, Jeet Kune Do as I start learning Kung Fu and I will be teaching it to my son. Uh, I will be teaching it to my son. Uh, when I am at the point where I am able to teach, I, I have much to learn. Uh, but before I even start uh, attempting to become proficient at the martial art itself, I believe that it was really important for me to understand uh, the philosophy behind it. And uh, Bruce Lee, a lot of people see him as a fighter, uh, someone who invented a new style, Jeet Kune Do. Uh, he used to... Um, he used to be a, a Wing Chun master, etc. And obviously there was his fight with Wong Jack Man, and um, and then he died uh, early, and so also did his son, etc. But there's a lot of different things, uh, you know, associated with that. The point is, 
he's a philosopher. A lot of people don't realize that Bruce Lee was a philosopher first and foremost, right? So I desire to understand the philosophy behind Jeet Kune Do, the Tao behind Jeet Kune Do, before I actually begin the process of becoming a proficient at it, and then gaining the ability to teach it to my son, for example as something that will be passed down as a new tradition, generation after generation within my family, as it were, because I believe that this philosophy, the philosophy behind Jeet Kune Do is absolutely crucial uh, to, you know, and important, not only for, you know, my family to understand, but also uh, for our world to understand, for our race to understand, so. And that's why I'm doing that. And uh, as a result of learning uh, about Bruce Lee and his uh, philosophy, I'm able to have even more understanding of how um, you know the system that we call life, as we know it, this reality, and all the other uh, you know aspects of it, immaterial and material, how it fits together, how it impacts our ego, our our nature, and how it impacts our nurture, and it comes together in one large system. So. For the sake of that, I got my trusty whiteboard and I whiteboarded that model just so that we could talk about what it looks like. Here it is. All right, welcome to a four-dimensional Venn diagram, which is actually a gigantic uh, yin and yang, multi-dimensional yin and yang system, which explains life as we know it for human beings. Okay, so at the very center, we have a sovereign human being. Uh, a complete human being, a complete individual. Notice that it's the center of a Celtic knot. It's kind of interesting how the Celtic knot as a, uh, as a symbol continues uh, to show up anytime I study uh, yin and yang equilibrium or the Tao um, or, um, you know, or Venn diagrams or that, that form of uh, geometry, etc. Even though it's not probably technically geometry, but I mean, whatever. Uh, I mean, it could be if you want to go into like a metaphysical approach to it, but you know, you see what I mean? It's, all it is is just talking about probabilities and properties more so than actual like, you know, uh, directions where uh, geometrical shapes and, and whatnot, but itself, it, it kind of is a shape itself because you're putting multiple circles together to actually demonstrate a yin and, uh, a yin and yang equilibrium with uh, primary and secondary properties all the way across the board. So, you have the sovereign human being at the middle, okay? And then you have this circle here. This circle is human nature, okay? This circle over here is human nurture, right? Okay? And then we have the physical environment that we live in, like the earth, for example, or the material world. The material, you know, it's also the SE realm, right? Okay? You know, and then that would kind of like be like, you know, SI, right? And then uh, this would be like NI, um you know, or NE, et cetera, et cetera. So just kind of how perceiving it goes. And then you have the, the, the I am, you know, the, the nature as it were. In terms of like which cognitive function is attached to like which circle, I, I'm not entirely sure. I, I'll have to like think about it more. But regardless, this is just generally the entire system as it goes. Uh, so, so nature and the ego. The, the ego is important. It's what is the um, it's what is the the I am. It, it contains the it contains the the mind or the soul of the human being, and that's the mind and soul outside of masculinity or femininity. Basically, it's outside the masculine and the feminine. The masculine and feminine is more of a nurture thing, actually, because 
it's not something that human beings get to decide. We don't we don't decide our gender at birth, at least not that we know of. But I mean, we we really don't. Uh, there's there's no evidence. There's no confirmation that we are actually, you know, it, that that is something that's decided for us. And as much as our names are decided for us, you know, upon birth, and and our gender is is decided super early on uh, after um, you know, the sperm and the egg or the ovum merges together, etc., and splits and whatnot. But uh, that is, uh, you know, it, it's an interesting concept. So, so nurture is basically someone's past. It's someone's experiences. It's, uh, it's every relationship they've ever had with every human being. It's every interaction they've ever had with any human being, right? Or an animal, or uh, or the or, or their street, you know, or uh, you know, or the the culture, you know, of their society. And I guess street is more like an environmental thing, like where you live, etc. You know, and what school did you go to? But you know, in terms of like culture. Or society, you know, cultural norms, social norms, uh, ethos, etc., uh, even logos in some cases, really makes up a person's personal experience with life, a personal experience in this circle, right? And that is human nurture. And that's why we're talking about things like sacred, the sacred masculine, or the sacred feminine, etc. That's why we're going so um, we're going so deep into those areas. And we're trying to assist people in trying to be as as mature as possible. Maturity is everything, right? Because if we can, especially with especially with men, because if we can get men to being like actually mature, have the mature masculine. Uh, if we could get men to uh, to know personal responsibility, take responsibility for meeting their own needs, right? Having personal standards, enforcing personal boundaries, having personal goals. If we can bring that to men, where men lead, women follow. So based on that, you know, we're going to put a stop to the fatherlessness in our society and then the human race will be back on track, especially our society, and we will not lose our society and our society will not crumble, you know, underneath, uh, you know, over its, uh, you know, under its own weight, basically. So we're, we're going to be cutting away the fat by cutting away the fat of immaturity, which is going to be a painful process, you know, because suffering brings wisdom, right? You can't get wisdom any other way. I can't comfort you into wisdom, right? You have to be willing to suffer the fires of truth, the, the, the fire of light, right? To be able to gain the truth that you need so that you can move forward, etc., and uh, and gain wisdom because wisdom is the most most important substance in all of existence, that exists in, in the entire universe and all of creation, wisdom is the key to everything because if you have wisdom, you can literally get anything you want. That's, that's a fact. But you gotta be willing to suffer in order to gain wisdom. Otherwise, yeah, you know, I, I, do you really wanna live life like a fool? I'm sure there are plenty of people who are like middle-aged who wish that they didn't make decisions that they did. You know what I mean? Like maybe we should be like teaching wisdom at an early age. So that by the time someone is 16 years old, they are able, they understand that they will need to be taking care of their needs, you know, and that they're well on the path of becoming king or queen within their archetype. King for like the masculine as a 16 as year old would need to understand that when they come of age, which is like 18, they need to have their own car, their own home, their own job, right? Their own insurance. So they're 100% self-sufficient outside of their family or any help, financial help, or any help from their family whatsoever because self-sufficiency is everything. And that is literally what king is. And it's like, okay, ooh, you're self-sufficient now, great. You know, so you got your own castle, your, your apartment. Okay, so you're the king of your castle, great. 
that's just an example, okay? So it's important that we, that I, you know, that's why I'm doing those lecture series on nurture so that we can understand what is necessary to make us into better human beings and to utilize the past experience that we have or to bring in new experiences to us to add to our past, to add to our nurture so that we can be that we become better human beings and that we have better wisdom so that we actually can reach our dreams. That we actually can, you know, like everyone's got dreams, right? I mean, I got a lot of dreams. I dream of one day of having like, you know, a six pack and I'm, I'm, I'm get, I'm getting there. You know, uh, I, uh, I dreamed of having, um, you know, of, uh, being really, really good at Jeet Kune Do and being able to teach it to my son. That's another dream that I have or, um, uh, you know, putting a stop to fatherlessness in uh, in first world society. That's another big one, right? You know, so so I, I have a lot of dreams and I'm very driven by these ambitions and I, and I make them happen. And I only was able to arrive to those conclusions as a result of taking responsibility and meeting my own needs, having personal standards to force myself to continue to meet my own needs, and then having external boundaries to, that I enforce so that other human beings would not inhibit me from meeting my own needs. And then after all of that was done, I started to understand exactly what I wanted and my personal goals. And then I know myself, I know who I am, I know what I'm all about, I know what I'm here for, I know my mission in life, and I'm going, And every decision I make every single day has everything to do with that. And that's where it comes from, right? So that that is what nurture is all about, you know? So we talked about, we talked about nature already in the 16 types, and it's your mind, it's your soul, it's the I am, basically. The king archetype and the queen archetype is really attached to human nature. It's really attached to the I am, basically. You know, and uh, the nurture is more of the, the we are, right? And nurture is where lover is. It's what, it's what, um, it's the archetype where you just you just enjoy life. You uh, it's not just your relationship with a man or a woman or sex or anything like that. It's also just enjoying the Froyo bar. It's enjoying a candy bar. It's enjoying a extra brand polar ice gum with Aquafina water to help you get through the day. Yeah, I do that. You know, or it it, it really doesn't matter. Uh, it's all about enjoying life. Going down a zip line, uh, having a sea do. Um, uh, climbing a very uh, high mountain, going hiking. I love hiking. It's one of my most favorite activities in the world, right? Going to discussion groups. Speaking of discussion groups, I just started the uh, Bay Area uh, Philosophy, Politics, and Psychology group. Uh, if you want to join it, go to meetup.com. Join that. I'll be posting a meetup probably within the, the next uh, two weeks, and I'll be there uh, leading discussions on... Um, and organizing discussions at various uh, venues uh, throughout the Bay Area. And we'll all just meet up together, have a good uh, two hour session of just hanging out, drinking some coffee, eating some food. Uh, maybe I might do a monologue of some kind, uh, but a non-sophist one, more of like, you know, one with criticism and feedback and questions, etc. Or maybe I'll just let y'all talk about whatever you want, but that's a thing now. So if you wanna do that, go to meetup.com, search Bay Area, uh, uh, philosophy, politics, and psychology group, and then there you go. Uh, we can definitely get that started. It's going to be fun. So anyway, the bottom line, that, that is what nurture is. We need to give ourselves additional experiences to put more into our past, and in, even if it's failure, even if it's suffering, because failure and suffering is going to give us wisdom. So we need wisdom, right? And you do that through nurture, and then when you have your nurture and your nature, 
combining together. It really helps you understand what it means to be a sovereign human being. Oh, but wait, there's more. Obviously you have your physical environment and like this is like the earth that we live in. This is like Newtonian physics, for example, uh, the laws of thermodynamics. Um, you know, uh, this would basically be kind of like where your body is and, you know, microbes and, and animals and your microbiome and your brain and in your in your stomach, for example. Uh, it would be you eating cholesterol or sugar or, you know, carbs, proteins, sodium, you know, macronutrients, etc. Micronutrients, um, farming and uh, growing and photosynthesis, like anything in the physical environment that is here. This is known as the material, right? the material, our relationship with the material. And we're able to impact the relationship with the material with our nature and our nurture in a better way. And we are to be, you know, stewards of this earth, right? And take care of it for future generations. It is our responsibility. It is a need that we have. Remember, we're supposed to take responsibility for meeting our own needs, right? This is why I take recycling very seriously. Even though I'm not exactly into peer pressure, uh, environmentalism but at the same point I still have to be a responsible human being you know I mean I could even make that same argument about finances you know I don't want to be that generation that curses you know my son's generation or my my grandchildren's generation because I I've spent their entire future away oh wait that's kind of what happened to you know my generation the the, the Millennials weird yeah I don't want to be that guy so but but the point is you know you know, we, this is, uh, you know, the environment, you know, and, and this is like, it, it's the present, uh, you know, the, the expert in sensing, you live in the moment, it is, it is the present, basically, you know, this is the past and our personal experience, this is the I am, but this is the present, and a lot of people love living in the present, in order for us to have the best present, because the present is literally how we live our lives, you know, yesterday is over with, but we could gain wisdom from yesterday, right? Because here I am, and I can gain wisdom from yesterday so I can have a better now today, working towards having a better future tomorrow because the top circle is the future, also known as the spiritual realm, the metaphysical realm, the immaterial realm. Whereas the bottom here is the environment. This represents the material, right? And uh, it's, it's the present. It's also the objective. This is the objective realm, you know, where objective truth would be, right? And this is where the subjective exists, where subjective truth would exist, right? And again, it's all in equilibrium, you know? And, and nature itself, guess what? It's a yin and yang equilibrium itself. Same thing with the I am, same thing with nature. It's a yin and yang equilibrium too. I mean, because we have an ego and we have a shadow, right? They're in yin and yang equilibrium with each other. Same thing with the subconscious and the superego. And then both sides there are also, uh, you know, the subconscious, superego are also in equilibrium with the, uh, the, the, the conscious or the ego and the unconscious, for example. It, there's just they're just everywhere and then and there's all on top of that there's yin and yang equilibrium between the cognitive functions themselves when you go even deeper it's everywhere okay so this is a yin and yang equilibrium this is a yin and yang equilibrium same with this one same with this one and then together they're all a yin and yang equilibrium as well multi-dimensional everywhere with a nice little celtic knot in the center but the point is like these exist and they exist at multiple levels. You know, when, when I talk about the sacred masculine or when I talk about the sacred feminine, for example, I'm not saying every single human being falls under this issue, you know, of, of masculine or feminine, et cetera, in that way, because there's still positive and negative 
primary and secondary yin and yang properties within the masculine and the feminine anyway. One of the examples of this is in our ego, right? When I talk about Jungian personality types, the ego itself, right? It's a primary thing. The subconscious itself is a secondary thing. The ego itself, if you are a masculine, like if you are a man, then your ego is masculine, but then your subconscious, also known as the, you know, if you're a man, it's the anima. The anima itself, guess what? It's feminine, right? Or if you have a feminine ego because you're a woman, your subconscious is an animus, a masculine, a masculine entity, a masculine personality, a masculine persona inside the female. That's why every human being has a mixture of masculine and feminine traits, but those masculine and feminine traits come out differently. Oh, and then even beyond that, each individual, one of the 16 types, regardless of ego or unconscious, has feminine and masculine traits in there as well. And then they also have primary and secondary properties. So I'm an ENTP, ENTPs alone are kind of more feminine than they are masculine, but then you put an ENTP in a masculine body, oh, there's a weird balance there, isn't there? So you have masculine properties and you have feminine properties all at once. And then how does that affect um, also the primary and secondary masculine and feminine properties of the subconscious? It gets super confusing, but don't worry. It's all in balance. It's all in harmony. It's all, and although there are things that can, you know, like lead to disharmony, but we'll talk about that later in a later lecture. Um, but the point is, it's all in balance. Everything is in equilibrium, you know. We're trying so hard, you know, especially like Bruce Lee would, would make the argument that Western philosophy is trying to take things out and in, and analyze them individually. They're all of their little components, but you can't do that because if you remove something and you are analyzing, it loses its definition because its definition is only in consideration of equilibrium of everything else it's attached to, like a puzzle piece. It's a piece of a larger puzzle, but when you take the puzzle piece to and analyze the component or this one little puzzle piece, what does that do to the rest of the picture? What does that do to the value of the piece itself? We're missing it. Sometimes we just have to boil the ocean to understand everything. Sometimes it's not just good to be able to take one little logical part and look at it. And this is why ethos actually can be important. Rationale can be important because you have to have rationale in order to at least try to perceive the much larger system in which everything works you have to arrive to that decision-making with your rationale to be able to understand that, right? You know, see, that's one area where logos can miss it. However, logos can still get there. It'll just take longer because logos will look at that one part. Great. Next part, next part, next part. And eventually the logos will boil the ocean and it will get there until the entire puzzle is complete and it has a fuller understanding of it. But again, ethos or rationale struggles in that area because as it's analyzing clumps of puzzle pieces, it may miss an individual puzzle piece and then it has, you know, it has less data, right? It's literally the argument, the forest versus the trees. The logos gets into the trees, the ethos gets into the forest. The logic gets in the trees, the rationale gets into the forest or sets of forests, plural. That's the point. That's why no one human being is the most intelligent. It's impossible, that's not how it works. 
we have to actually come together as puzzle pieces ourselves because our nurtures all represent puzzle pieces and we all have different nurtures. So our natures represent different puzzle pieces. We have different nurtures that is own puzzle pieces as well. And they all fit together with fellow human beings, right? And then we're able to understand more when we unite. When we unite focused on one goal at the same time, our race is literally capable of anything. There is no limit to what human beings can do. Oh, and you know what? Technically, in the book of Genesis, uh, God says that uh, just before he toppled the Tower of Babel because he said, quote, if human beings who speak the same language can come together in one place and accomplish this, the Tower of Babel, nothing will be impossible for them. So according to Genesis, that means nothing is impossible for the human race. So if you have all 16 types of Jungian analytical psychology coming together, represented in a group, they literally have all human cognition available to them. And of course, they have different ages and different backgrounds, different nurtures. And you want to have as many people as you can with, with different natures and different nurtures, but all have the same goal. They have the full access to all of human cognition and they can literally accomplish anything. There is no limit to what our race can accomplish. But we are so divided, and that's what causes a problem. But here's the thing. Division is important in as much as unity is. Because a lot of people, especially globalists, for example, will say, oh, we need to unite, we need to unite, we need to unite. And it's like, okay, yeah, I can see that we need to unite, but I don't want to unite under you. I don't want to unite under a particular flag, per se, because... I can unite, but my personal sovereignty as a human being, as a sovereign human being, still must be respected. And I am also responsible for respecting the personal sovereignty of other people, even if I disagree with them, even if I don't like their belief system. I think that's kind of what the Declaration of Independence and probably like the Bill of Rights and the Constitution of the United States of America was kind of about, you know. It's like, oh yeah, I may not agree with those people, but I'm going to live with them and I'm going to allow them to be here. You know what I mean? And, and, and it's more than tolerance. It's, it's, it's actually phileo love. It's brotherly love, actually. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. Wow, I wish people would like, you know, figure that out, but apparently we, just, we can't do that because we're so ignorant. Great. Now you know why bringing wisdom to everybody and getting rid of ignorance, the largest disease to plague our race, get rid of it. Because the more people that know, the stronger they are, the more wisdom they have, the better we, come, we become. And then once we're able to unite towards that one singular goal and speak the same language, you know, which we already kind of do, you know, the language of numbers or hypertext markup language, the internet. Oh, the internet, the new Tower of Babel. Yeah, exactly. So because we have this system now and we're able to communicate the universal language of numbers, essentially, universal language of logic and rationale, because we're able to communicate on this, the human race is finally at a point, again, to be able to accomplish anything. Anytime this has happened before, at least in ancient history, be it through legend or documented actual, you know, factual documentation, I don't know. You can even talk about Atlantis at this point. But 
anytime we've ever, that's ever happened before in an, in, an, in antiquity or legend, you know, it's always felt disaster for us because we've gotten it wrong every time, right? Maybe we should like get it right this time. Ray Kurzweil talks about singularity, for example. I maintain that singularity, uh, you know, could, you know, as part of the transhumanist movement, which I'm not in the transhumanist movement, but there are many people who are transhumanist and, uh, the transhumanists would definitely argue that uh, our Tower of Babel, the internet basically is becoming, is leading to singularity. Who knows what's going to happen to our race when that happens, but you know, and they're saying that those things are inevitable, but regardless, it doesn't matter. Provided everyone's personal sovereignty, being a sovereign human being is respected and we show brotherly love and mutual respect and we love our neighbors as ourselves because they are my neighbor. You know, like, like, for example, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't subscribe to a lot of different belief systems. I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't go to church, right? I don't, uh, I, I don't agree with the, uh, Seventh-day Adventist or, uh, or, uh, Jehovah's Witness or, or Mormons or whatever, but I don't care. Do you know why? Because I show them mutual respect because they are my neighbor and I am here to love my neighbor as myself. And that means I have to love myself first. And that means I have to be responsibly selfish and exercise self-love so that I can be capable of loving my neighbor too as a result of loving myself. And in order to love myself, I have to know myself, which is why I constantly talk about the four pillars of self-intimacy, needs, standards, boundaries, and goals in finding who you are, right? That's the point. Super mega necessary. And that's why we do this lecture, right? Nature versus nurture, all these yin and yang equilibrium examples, which is what Taoism is based on. This is why this lecture is called the Tao of the human being or the way of the human being, right? I think that's kind of what, interestingly enough, Jesus had called his movement, you know, before he died on the cross, according to the gospels, when like, uh, you know, it's before they were called Christians at Antioch and whatnot, and it used to be called the way or wayism in those days. Interesting how Taoism is similarly named. Kind of interesting how symbols work and that's kind of what the spiritual realm is about. It's all about symbols, right? Symbols are how human beings are able to discuss and understand the spiritual realm, the metaphysical, the quantum mechanical realm, the immaterial, also known as the subjective, right? And every human being has a relationship with this. This is also known as the future. This is the what if, basically. This is the what if. This is the what is. This is the what was. And this is the I am. Do you guys understand now how important this is? Why this is a mega, super huge, multi-dimensional yin and yang equilibrium that literally explains every facet of human existence as we know it? That's the whole point. This is how life works. We are all a part of this huge puzzle and we ourselves are this giant puzzle and all these giant puzzles are attaching to one mega huge puzzle everywhere we go because that is all human cognition. Our minds are that connected. Carl Jung figured that out with the collective unconscious, right? Also known as extroverted intuition. That is the collective unconscious, right? The what if, right? And we're all connected. And because the what if exists, the collective unconscious exists, the collective conscious exists, right? And then we have our collective personal experience and our past, and we all know who we are ourselves. It's super mega important. 
it's, it's funny actually because there are many people out there who would teach the death of the ego and how the ego is the problem, right? And how we need to get rid of the ego. I'm here to say I disagree with that. In fact, that's complete and utter bullshit. No, you don't want to kill the ego. You don't want to remove the ego because what happens when you remove the ego, you can't be a sovereign human being. And at most, you are nothing more than cattle. Do not listen to the Jason Louves of the world. Do not listen to the Gordon Whites of the world. Do not listen to these people who are constantly talking about, oh, the death of the ego. We have to get over ego. The ego is responsible for all the pain and misery in human existence. No. Actually, the superego is technically, but they have to like understand Jungian analytical psychology to like remotely get there. The ego is not responsible for that. The superego is. Remember, when I'm talking about the 16 personality types, according to Jung, we have the four sides of the mind. The ego, the unconscious, the subconscious, and the superego. And the superego is trying to replace the ego, right? It's the source of, you know, sin nature, according to religious circles. It's the source of the human condition, right? And the, e the superego is trying to grab at the ego and replace positions with it. Martin Luther said that sin nature is when the self is bending in upon the self, right? That is the reason for the pain and misery of this world. It's not the ego. What we need to understand is that we need to actually grow the ego. And how do you grow the ego? The answer is wisdom. And where do you get wisdom? Suffering, pain, failure. From failure brings wisdom. This is why failure is technically more valuable than success. Why are you avoiding failure? If you're watching this and you're not mature, I guarantee if you're avoiding failure, it's because you're not mature. A mature person is okay with failure. A mature person, a wise person, is okay with being criticized. Are you really sensitive to criticism? Are you able to take criticism? Or do you avoid conflict? Do you avoid criticism at every turn? I guarantee you, that's foolishness. And you are not being wise. Because remember, a wise person, when they're corrected, they thank the person that's correcting them. A fool does not. A fool becomes indignant and resentful. Something my mentor taught me. Because I was very indignant and bitter and resentful for him when he was trying to enlighten me. I was such a fool. And I could have learned so much more from him had I figured that out a lot sooner. It's one of my greatest regrets. The death of the ego is not going to help. The death, no, we have to grow the ego. You know, like Fibonacci, the Fibonacci pattern, the pattern of growth. We have to grow as human beings. We have to grow. We have to mature. And we get growth through wisdom. So, again, there is like the, the, the pyramid for, uh, you know, information, you know, it starts out with data at the beginning and then it's information and then it's knowledge and at the top is wisdom, right? We all need wisdom. But the only way we need to get there is have growing pains, suffering, pain, failure. You need to be okay with failure. The only way you're going to get there is learning from mistakes and learning from failure. There's always a blessing. There's always a gift in adversity. You need to find it and embrace it. Embrace adversity. Be thankful for your suffering. Be thankful for your failures because they are giving you wisdom. And through wisdom, you could gain everything you've ever wanted. You literally can have all things. That's the point. And that's the point of... That, that is the Tao of 
the human being, the way of the human being. Wisdom is the key. You cannot have all things if you are not wise. You need to become wise. Society doesn't want you to become wise because if, if you're wise, then you're not gonna put up with society's bullshit anymore. You're not gonna allow society to treat you like cattle, which is exactly how they're going to treat you if you allow them to kill the ego. If you allow them to have their death of the ego, instead of growing the ego, instead of becoming, and, and through the growth of the ego, where the ego becomes so strong that the superego is subject to the ego, willfully subject to the ego because it sees the ego is wise and it cannot refute the truth of the ego itself within the four sides of the mind, within the soul of the human being, within the mind of the human being. Do not listen to people who are talking about the death of the ego. It's, it's not it. The ego is not the problem. The super ego is the problem. The I am is not the problem. Why else? Why else do you think when the Pharisees asked Jesus what his name was, you know, in the Gospels, and he's like, I am. And then, like, they toppled over in the story because of how powerful it was. Because that's how powerful the ego can be. You need wisdom. Don't try to avoid the ego. Oh, I need to be the most unselfish person in the world. That doesn't help anybody because you can't help anybody unless you're responsibly selfish first and able to take care of yourself. That's the whole point. How are you going to live? You know, life is not to be completely analyzed in every little facet because if remember, if you take that piece of the puzzle piece, are you really going to understand the whole picture? Life needs to be experienced in every positive and negative facet because it builds wisdom. You have to understand because you can either learn from your mistakes or you can learn from others' mistakes. And if you don't have people around you to learn from and learn from their mistakes, and they're not always going to make mistakes that are relevant to you, for example, that's why you're going to make mistakes yourself and you're going to fail. Be okay with failure because it teaches you wisdom which allows you to have the growing pains to get the growth that you need to grow your ego because there is no proof of life without growth. Growth is the proof of life. It is the logos of life. And the only way to grow is through pain and failure. That's why they call it growing pains because then you gain for yourself wisdom. And as a wise person, as a wise man and as a wise woman, you are literally a rarity the most noblest creature on the planet, the most beautiful creature that walks the earth are these people. And it's for these people that I am so thankful. And I'm very thankful to have people in antiquity, ancient history, and history as we know it, who have found this out and have lived their lives as such to be examples to us every single day. Wisdom is the key. It's the only way it's the only way to prevent our race from its own self-destruction and instead promote a race that puts personal sovereignty first for the sake of the collective sovereignty of everybody. It's not, and, 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 and that personal sovereignty would be above and celebrated and respected and mutually by everyone because the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. Charlie Chaplin said that in his speech uh, at the end of this film, The Great Dictator. I recommend you watch it. 
because so long as men die, the people will always be free. So long as the superego dies, the people will always be free. We have to learn how to master the superego. And the only way to do that is not the death of the ego. Because people are like, well, the superego is a problem. So if we kill the ego, then the superego can't switch places with it. No. If you kill the ego, all that's left is the superego. And it will turn this world into a nightmare. A living nightmare. Instead, let us focus on growing and gaining wisdom for ourselves and grow our egos so that we can have a better future and a better tomorrow for ourselves and our children. Such is the way of the human being. Anyway, if you found this lecture useful, helpful, educational, enlightening, insightful, please subscribe to the channel here on YouTube and on uh, the podcast. That would be great. If you have any questions about personal sovereignty or the way of the human being or the Tao of the human being, please leave it in the comments section of this lecture, and I'll do my best to answer your questions. Uh, and, uh, yeah, also, don't forget, we have our Discord group. Please join uh, Discord. Uh, I'll be doing Q&A sessions, live streaming from the Discord uh, about twice a month, I believe. And, uh, and then eventually we're going to get our Mattermost server as well. Uh, but that's another story. And then on top of that, we also have our new meetup group for those uh, watching this channel uh, in the Bay Area. If you're in the Bay Area and you would like to uh, join our meetup group, it is Bay Area uh, Philosophy, Politics, and Psychology group. Uh, somewhere on meetup.com. I'm the organizer. I haven't uh, posted or finished making the profile yet, but just join it. Uh, join the group, and uh, we'll definitely uh, be going to various venues throughout the Bay Area, um, anywhere all the way up from Concord, all the way down to like Mountain View, up into San Francisco, Oakland, down to Fremont, all over the place. So we're definitely going to be doing like a tour of the Bay, basically, with our group. So it'll be awesome. If you also have any recommendations for various venues we should go to, please leave them in the comments section. Or you can just email me through the message system on my website, csjoseph.life. That would also be dope as well. So anyway, wow, almost a one-hour lecture again. Kind of interesting how that goes. But I just really wanted to nail and drive this one home so that people understand why I am going as much lengths as I'm doing for human nurture. But I also need you to understand the relationship between nurture and nature as well as everything else that we're doing. It's at a very high level. It's not into the trees like what we're going with human nature with all the different cognitive functions, the different yin and yang equilibrium. We're looking at very high level what a human being looks like, you know, uh, from, you know, from above and then collectively, etc. So anyway, thanks for watching or listening and uh, I'll see you guys tonight.